0: Let's turn now again to God's Word (coughs) and to 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23, continuing in the life of David. So let us hear the living word of the living God. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, "'Bring the ephod here.' Then said David, "'O lords, the God of Israel, "'your servant has surely heard "'that Saul seeks to come to Keilah "'to destroy the city on my account. "'Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand?' Will Saul come down as your servant has heard, O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah And they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Chachilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore, Take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. When Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Then a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Amen. May God bless to us his word. And we'll look together at the whole chapter, but perhaps the centerpiece is 1 Samuel twenty-three fourteen. Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Now David has begun his slow ascent to the throne of Israel. The Lord has carried him through the great humiliation of fleeing for his life and feigning madness before the Philistine king of Gath. The low point had been reached. And in the last chapter, we began to see the tide turn. David was changed from a man on the run, forlorn and alone, to a man with an army of 400 men with Gad the prophet by his side to give him the word of God and Abiathar the high priest there to minister to him. From a man who was falling into the pattern of lying to a man who had been brought face to face with his sin and who had repented. David's recovery had begun. And we saw that the seed of the serpent, the opposition of Saul, would not and could not prevent the rise of the seed of the woman. And in this chapter, we see David's ascent continue as David brings salvation to Israel, as he is comforted by his best friend on earth, Jonathan, and as David is delivered from the persecution Of King Saul. Through all the suffering and betrayal that David still goes through, the Lord is with his anointed, inching him towards his destiny to be king. And we'll look at this chapter as it unfolds that in three headings. We'll see that God speaks verses 1 to 15. We'll see that God encourages verses 16 to 18. And we'll see that God delivers, verses 19 to 29. God speaks, God encourages, and God delivers. First then, God speaks. The chapter opens with a threat to God's people. The Philistines are on the attack. The lives and the provisions of Keilah are under threat. And King Saul, the man who should defend Israel, is nowhere to be seen. So who will step in? Who will step up to deliver and save? Well, of course, it is the man who has done this as a matter, of course, all of his adult life. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. Ever since David emerged as that shepherd boy, To be Israel's representative in defeating Goliath. That has been David's divine calling. To be the saviour of God's people. And he will do it here again. But David does something first before he goes to save Keilah. He seeks God's will. And so verse 2. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack? these Philistines. The cause was obviously just, defending God's people. David's calling to do this was clear. He is the anointed king. But before he acts, God must be sought. Even though he has every right to go and do what he's about to do, he will not do it without seeking the Lord's blessing and the Lord's will first. And that, of course, is an immediate and obvious lesson for us, that we are always, even when it is clear, to commit what we are doing to the Lord, to seek his blessing, and whether it is what he would have us to do. But the response to David's seeking of the Lord is very, very significant. In verse 3, we have, That the Lord said to David, verse 2, sorry, the Lord said to David. And these words haven't appeared in the book of Samuel, since God said to the prophet Samuel, the Lord said, arise, anoint him, David, for this is he. And these words appearing now, the Lord said, point us all the way back to David's calling to be king. The Lord who spoke that David would be anointed is the Lord who is now speaking to David, confirming his calling to be king. And in that speaking, God says to David, yes, you are my anointed. Yes, you have my blessing to fulfill your calling to save Israel, to defend Keilah from the Philistines. And God speaking to David is such a contrast to the silence that confronts King Saul. Saul had sinned away God's guidance. David seeks it and receives it. But a problem soon emerges in the chapter. David's men are scared. They say, verse 3, hang on a minute, David. This whole going on an attack against the Philistines. Just remember the situation we are in. We are hiding. We are afraid. It's just too much for us to break cover and launch a military campaign. And their response is a reminder of the distressed, weak, bitter in soul men who had gone to David. David. And in their response, we see so much of ourselves and we see so much of the church of Jesus Christ. So often we are hesitant, lacking in confidence and lacking in boldness. How do you think David will respond to these men? Well, he responds as a leader who knows their weakness and so he doesn't berate them. He doesn't say to them, did you not hear God saying we were meant to do this? Just get on with it. No, he takes their weakness and their fear and the situation to the Lord. David says, my men are fearful. Confirm that it is your will that we should defend Keilah. That my men might be strengthened to be willing to risk their all for your people. You know, David, like his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will not break the bruised reed. He will gently and mercifully deal with his fearful followers. And God is even more compassionate than his servant David is. And so God strengthens his promise to David. And by consequence, he encourages these fearful men. God says, verse 4, Arise, go down, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. God gives the command which is so clear, go. And he gives that promise with it. I will give the Philistines to you. And so armed with this extra comfort from the God of heaven, David leads his men forward. And as God promised, he leads them to victory. So we have verse five, so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. David steps forward to be the savior in response to the word of God. But the Christian life is never straightforward. It's not a straight and easy march on to glory. It isn't for us and it certainly wasn't for David in one Samuel. The narrative goes on to remind us that Abiathar is with David. He is the high priest who has the Urim and the Thummim. We don't quite know how they worked, but they were the means of revealing God's will. And it's worth remembering back to why the high priest is with David. And that's because of Saul's bloody persecution of David. The high priest had to run away as Saul killed the entire city of the priests in, in Nob. And the mention of Abiathar is really to put that contrast in our minds, and it's important in what follows. That David is the one who brings life to Israel, he saves. But Saul is the one who brings death. Saul is the one who is capable of eradicating a whole city, even the city of the priests. Then Saul reemerges into the story in verse 7. Saul hears that David is in Keilah. And so he says, God has given him into my hand. He has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Now, it's very hard to read the kind of things that Saul says. You know, here is a city that has been saved from (coughs) destruction by the enemies of God's people, the Philistines. But Saul doesn't give thanks for that deliverance. He doesn't give thanks that his own subjects have been saved. All Saul can see is the man he hates, David. And he, he blasphemously thinks that God will be with him in his murderous crusade against David. God has given him to me, he says. Sin leaves us so blind and in that blind hatred, Saul gathers all of his forces to go after Israel's saviour because he is in an enclosed city. David, however, is, is no fool. You know, he knows he's in danger. He knows he's in an enclosed city. And unlike Saul, he can look to God and to God's voice in a situation. So God looks to Abiathar, that man who is only with him because of Saul's hatred. And David looks to the high priest for divine guidance. You know, God overruled Saul's murderous hatred of the priests by sending Abiathar to David to minister God's word to him. And with the high priest by his side, David seeks God's will. He says, I'm in the city. I'm a bit concerned that Saul will use this to come and try and and get me. And so he asks the high priest, tell me, will Saul come? And verse 11, he's told Saul will come against him at Keilah. And then David asks, this city that I have saved and rescued, Keilah, when Saul comes, will These men stand with me, or will they betray me into the hand of Saul? And verse 12, David is told, They will surrender you. Now, in one sense, the people of Keilah had every right to be afraid. You know, Saul has just murdered the entire city of Nob. He has raised the city of the priests to the ground. Abiathar's presence there is that reminder of how bloodthirsty Saul is at this point in time. And no doubt the people of Keilah thought, if Saul did that to the priests, what will he do to us? So in a sense, their response is understandable, but in another way. What a way for Keilah to treat their deliverer, willing to hand over God's anointed, willing to hand over the seed of the woman, so to speak, to the seed of the serpent, so that he would be put to death. And in what is happening to David here in his betrayal and in his being handed over, as it were, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, who also came to his own to save and to deliver them. But his own nation cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The Son of God came, and just like David, he was despised and rejected of men. And I'm sure here we also see our own hearts, that if we were left to ourselves, we would Just be like those in Keilah who rejected and handed over our Saviour. We are no better than them. So David is now left a rejected man. He came and he saved, but he is now again a fugitive. We see in verse 13 that his men simply went wherever they could go. The Christ-likeness of David continues. Jesus, who had nowhere to lay his head, and neither does David. But in it all, because David is walking in accordance with God's word, because David is placing his life in the hands of the revelation of his God, he is kept safe every day from the murderous rage Of the seed of the serpent. Verse 14. Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hand. (coughs) And it's the same for you and I. Whatever the rage of the world against us. We are as secure and as safe as David was. Because God has spoken. And given us his promises. So God speaks. Then second, God encourages, verses 15 to 18. Now perhaps the great structural theme of the latter chapters in First Samuel is the suffering of David. That his suffering goes before his exaltation to the throne, just as the suffering of Jesus goes before his exaltation to the right hand of God. But in... His suffering, the Lord Jesus had comforts. Angels came and ministered to the Lord Jesus. He saw conversions and so on. And it's the same for David. Though these latter chapters in 1 Samuel so often focus on David's suffering, they are not without encouragement for David. And in these verses 15 to 18, it's Jonathan. Who comes and encourages David in his suffering. Now David has just been rejected by his people. And he's in now the wilderness of Ziph. He's on the run as a rejected man. And so at this point in his life, he needs encouragement. He needs it. And God sends that to him in Jonathan. Jonathan. Now, it's interesting how easy it is for Jonathan to find David when Saul is running around all over the place, unable to find him. Now, clearly, the Lord is protecting David. But Jonathan is able to find him, and Jonathan finds David with one purpose of mind. As a true friend who will understand and know David's need. On the run, rejected and despised. He knows David needs encouraged. And so verse 16, Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. The purpose of Jonathan reaching out and going to David is to minister to him spiritually. To encourage him in his patient waiting for the kingdom. And again, there's a simple lesson For us, that we are to encourage one another, especially when we see a brother or sister going through a time in the wilderness, as it were. And Jonathan encourages David in four specific ways. He assures David that God will protect him. Verse 17, do not fear. The hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Though you are on the run in the wilderness, the one protecting you is greater than the one who is hunting you. Then he assures David that not only will he be safe, but that God will fulfill all of his promises. You shall be king over Israel. Not one of God's promises can fall to the ground, David. He will fulfill his word. And then he encourages David by reminding him that Jonathan will never be a rival for the kingdom. Jonathan is willingly giving the crown to David. That's what it means when he says, I shall be next to you. I'm not going to fight you for the kingdom, David. When your time comes, there will be no Opposition, I will gladly be your servant. I will be next to you. And then the final comfort that Jonathan gives to David is that he assures David that Saul knows his opposition is futile. Saul, my father, he says, also knows this. Saul, the seed of the serpent, knows that ultimately the seed of the woman will win. And how sad it is that Saul, knowing the truth, hates that truth and rebels against it in all of his futile might. You know, just like the devils who believe and tremble, but continue their spiritual warfare against God and his people. But what an encouragement for David and what an encouragement for us to know that our great enemy knows that he is defeated. And to seal all of this encouragement to God's needy servant David, David and Jonathan renew their covenant. That covenant which pledged Jonathan's loyalty to David. That covenant that ratified and sealed that all that was said was true and after their covenant to seal that encouragement we just read David remained at Horish and Jonathan went home and that's how David and his truest friend in all the world part for the last time but what a way to part what a last memory to leave Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. And you never know when your last meeting with a dear friend will be. But make it your goal that the memory you leave with any dear friend will be this. The last time I saw them, they encouraged me. They strengthened my hand. In God. So God speaks. God encourages through Jonathan. Finally, verses 19 to 29, God delivers. We've just seen Jonathan's faithfulness to David. But then we're introduced to another group in Israel who are only too willing to betray the Lord's anointed. We're told about the Ziphites in verses 19 and 20. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among the strongholds at Horesh? Come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire. Our part shall be to surrender him to the king's hand. The betrayal is staggering. And when David heard of this second betrayal in this chapter, perhaps it would have just been too much for him to take had it not been for Jonathan's encouragement in the middle. We never know the impact, the necessity of a word of encouragement. And here, I don't think it's a stretch to say it's that encouragement that keeps David through this chapter. We're told, really, how David responded to this betrayal in Psalm 54. Psalm 54 is a masculine of David. When the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? And we see there what we don't see in this chapter, David's emotional response. And we see from Psalm 54 that when David knows that once again he's been betrayed, he turns to God. He cries, oh God, save me by your name, vindicate me by your might. As he's betrayed, he takes his refuge once again in the God in whom he is safe. David's aware that humanly speaking, his life is in danger. He cries out in the psalm, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before them. But as Jonathan has just reminded him, David can be assured his life is ultimately safe because he says in that psalm, the Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. And knowing all of that, in the midst of all this betrayal that is going on, David can say, he has delivered me. God has delivered me from every trouble. My eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. David is sure that God will be with him. And the narrative goes on here to show us how God does deliver him. And it is quite a deliverance. Saul responds to the betrayal of the Ziphites with great glee. He pronounces, verse 21, God's blessing on the treachery. Of these men. He says may you be blessed by the Lord. For you have had compassion on me. And again. This just shows Saul's blindness. And the sadness of his condition. No one can ever be blessed by God. For betraying the Lord's anointed. And these are the men that David speaks of in Psalm 54. He says that God In your faithfulness, you will put an end to them. No, God's faithfulness will not bless these men. For betraying the Lord's anointed, curse, judgment rests upon them. Whatever Saul pretends. And see how Saul also sees himself as the victim. He says to the Ziphites, you've had compassion on me. As if Saul was the one on the run living in the wilderness who needed mercy. Not the king on the throne who was driving all this persecution. And in Saul we really see the results of sin and how it distorts everything. What is a curse in his eyes has become a blessing. And all that he has as king sitting on the throne is as nothing. He can't find contentment apart from God. Saul shows us Where sin leads. But Saul in all his glee over this betrayal. Remembers the disappointment he had in Keilah. And he puts this down, verse 22, not to God, but to David's cunning. And so he says to the Ziphites, this has gone wrong before, chaps. So this time, I want you to make doubly sure where David is. Monitor his movements. Give me the details. And then I'll be sure this time that I can get him. And then the Zephites do this, and there follows this incredible narrative of cat and mouse from verses 24 to 27. David is found in a part of the wilderness called Maon, verse 24. Saul and his men hear that's where he is, and they go after him. Then, verse 25, David hears that Saul is getting near. And off he goes to a different part of Maon, to a place called the rock. But then Saul hears that that's where David is. And so Saul goes off to the rock to get David. And it ends up, verse 26a, with Saul on one side of the mountain and David on the other. And all the way through that cat and mouse story, Saul's getting closer and closer to David. David. So we have at the end of verse 26, David was hurrying to get away from Saul. Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. It looks like the game is up. It looks like David is done for unless God delivers him. But how will God deliver him? The narrative's been building, the trap is about to be sprung. And then all of a sudden we find out that God is going to use the Philistines. Into all the tension of the cat and mouse story, a sudden message comes. It interrupts Saul's pursuit of David just as the net is closing. Verse 27, a messenger came saying, hurry, come, the Philistines have made a raid against the land. What will Saul do now? Will he continue pursuing David? Or will he allow the Philistines to ruin his kingdom and bring him shame and ignominy anyway? There's no option. The immediate threat of the Philistines has to be dealt with. And so verse 28, Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. You know, Behold the sovereignty of our God. The nations are at his disposal to protect his people. It is a light thing for the living God to use the Philistines to protect his anointed, to preserve the seed of the woman. And you know, so often we make God so small. But the nations of the earth are as a drop in a bucket. The heart of every king, is in God's hand to turn this way and that. And here God uses the great enemy of God's people, the Philistines, to deliver the saviour of his people, David, from the persecution of Saul and certain death. Who is a God like our God? So David is delivered, and we have verses 28 and 29. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. David has a brief time of repose. And how does David use that time? Well, God has spoken to him. God has encouraged him through Jonathan. God has delivered him from Saul. And in response to all of that, David worships. Psalm 54 again, and we had it as our call to worship. David writing at this time says, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. In response to all this, David worshipped. And for us, we are in an even more privileged position than David. In these last days, God speaks to us not with Urim and Thummim, but God has spoken to us in his Son. And in these last days, we have a greater encourager than Jonathan. We have the Holy Spirit as our comforter, our helper, our encourager. And we have a greater deliverance than David received in this chapter. Jesus, great David's greater son, has come to deliver us not from Saul only, but from the great serpent himself who has been crushed. And the sting of death has been taken away. Jesus has come and delivered us from the wages of sin, which is death. And so knowing all of that, we should respond in an even greater act of worship than David is, with more fervency saying, Lord, in response to your word, Jesus Christ, in response to the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and in response to the salvation you have given us in Christ, I will give thanks to your name, for it is good. Amen.